What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNEF podcast. Extreme climate events are causing companies to take a closer look at physical risk and think about how climate events could impact their balance sheets, with case studies showing impacts ranging from damage to facilities to all-out bankruptcy. Despite the financial threat, evaluation of physical risk is just getting started, and demand for disclosures is growing amongst investors and policymakers. In 2022, a survey conducted by CDP of over 2,300 companies found that 65% of firms were yet to identify physical risk, and even fewer of those have conducted financial assessments of those threats. So what is the actual scale of threat that physical risk poses, and what can be done to improve reporting and data collection? To find out more, today I am joined by Danya Liu, an analyst from BNEF's climate risk team. And together we do a bit of a primer which addresses the different forms of physical risk and which weather events can leave the largest financial impact. Then we go into more detail and talk about how physical risk affects different sectors and why the financial services industry in particular is vulnerable should investments be exposed to extreme weather events. And finally, we discuss the insurance industry and its relationship with physical risk and why increasing premiums or perhaps even the refusal to insure assets altogether could lead to greater awareness and reporting of data. BNEF subscribers will be able to find research highlighted on today's show, including Danya's research note, Beyond Fire and Floods, Firms Gauge Costs of Physical Risk, at BNEF.com or at BNEF Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. If you like this podcast, if you give us a review, it will make us more discoverable by others. But right now, let's jump into our conversation with Danya about physical risk. Dania, thank you very much for joining today. Thanks for having me, Dana. This is going to be fun. So listeners, you've got a Dania and a Dana here. So we'll endeavor to make it clear who's talking each time or, you know, we just won't refer to each other. Um, but let's let's get going. We're here to talk about physical risk and really what the data behind physical risk is going to tell us. So let's start off with a quick definition. Tell us what is physical risk? Physical climate risk is any damage, disruption to operations, really any risk that arises from weather-related events. There have been a lot of these, right, in the past few years. We have wildfires, floods, droughts, etc. All of this is physical climate risk. We can break that down into two broad categories. So we have acute physical risks. These are more event-driven floods, drought, like I said, wildfires. They have a start and an end point. The other category is chronic climate risks, and these are related to long-term shifts in the overall climate patterns, so things that we're going to see intensify with advancing climate change. These are things like ocean acidification, sea level rise, erosion, things like that. The underlying data for physical risk is notoriously 
difficult to interpret within a confidence interval that scientists would actually be really, really comfortable with. And so oftentimes is that kind of last bit of data that many financial institutions have started to incorporate in, although we are seeing it increasingly show up. Can we just talk a minute about the data itself that underpins this analysis and why it's difficult to essentially analyze? Yeah, well, we have really, really good weather data, right? The scientific community, um, climate scientists, we have really good weather data, but it's mostly short term and it's very, very difficult to predict, you know, in six months from now or in nine months or in a year and a half, this hurricane is going to hit this exact place. So because there's long term uncertainty, it's hard to map out exactly when or where these events will take place. And then the the second thing is that it's been difficult for that sphere of weather and climate modeling to trickle down into corporate level reporting. There's really a lack of corporate level physical risk data because there's not yet a standard mechanism for them to ingest this information, for them to map it onto their own operations and for them to spit back out kind of a standard impact metric. So there are two ways of looking at this as well, which is, first of all, the risk factors associated with a certain event happening. And then the second is the losses that your company may experience. Can you go into the different kind of loss categories that somebody looking at physical risk is taking into consideration? Yeah, so most companies are going to be impacted either in their direct operations or throughout their supply chain. And we can break down their impact into a couple of categories. So number one, like you said, there is direct asset damage. So if a storm hits your area and it causes, uh, you know, a, a tree to fall on your roof, your damaged roof decreases your asset value and that's going to take investment to fix. The second category, which is actually much bigger, is the productivity loss from whatever damage you suffered or disruption you suffered. So that's lost revenue because your factory didn't have a roof or because your factory was flooded for a while or because, you know, the the climate patterns shifted and suddenly your solar power plant or your wind power plant isn't generating the energy that it usually does. That's actually the biggest category of loss and financial impact for most companies, productivity loss. And then the third is indirect impact or indirect loss arising from all points in your supply chain. So if a storm or a drought knocks out your supplier to a key commodity that you depend on, that delay and that kind of increase in fees that you would face to get backup supply, that's an economic cost as well. Delays from shipping goods because maybe the canal that you use has low water levels and it can't handle the throughput it normally does. There's a lot of points along everybody's supply chain where they can they can experience indirect physical risk. So let's stick on that point for a second because you mentioned the Panama Canal and shipping delays. Let's go into some examples that are impacting supply chains. So Bloomberg did a lot of really great reporting last year on specifically droughts, low water levels across key um, shipping lanes, therefore delaying logistics and delaying delivery for you know countless industries and countless companies. That's one big one that we have a lot of data on and we have costs associated with you having to wait an extra three days or you having to pay an extra however much to, to get your delivery through. We also have another category of supply chain exposure lies with key manufacturers. So as an example, a lot of the industries that BNF covers 
clean energy manufacturing, a lot of those have China as a main manufacturing base. In the report that we published, we found that 92% of mainland China's companies report vulnerability to storms. So that means that a lot of these clean tech industries that we're covering, they are therefore in turn very exposed to storm risk because if a couple of factories in China get knocked out, then that creates obvious knock-on effects for later on down the, the supply chain. So supply chains are basically how physical risks propagate from the local place where it, where it happens to the global stage. So some of these indirect economic losses, it feels like almost, you know, how long is a piece of string? Or even when we're looking at carbon emissions, these are like the scope three emissions in this risk space. So a bit of a subjective question. And in your opinion, do you think that calculating the indirect economic costs is more challenging to do or actually calculating what the different physical risk kind of factors or percentages actually are? Yeah, I think it's much more difficult. I mean, like you said, it requires so much data, right? It requires you to know the detail of each one of your suppliers, each one of your downstream customers, where their facilities are, how they operate, what materials or ingredients they depend on. It's it's so many touch points. And I think that that does make it very difficult for you as the central company to account for. But it's still necessary, right? Yeah, so, so you're choosing the indirect economic costs are probably the more complicated of the two in this world of complicated maths. I believe so. But I think um, an important point here is that the indirect costs might be easier to address with things like insurance or with things like, you know, financial instruments or hedges or something like that. I really want to talk about insurance. But before we get there, let's talk a bit about the industries that are most exposed to this risk. You bring up a number of uh, the industries that BNF covers. So for example, utilities and the power sector is something that are inherently at risk to physical factors. But what is this range? Is it really pretty much any company that has a physical presence? And if you think about it, even digital companies have a physical server somewhere. And on that scale, kind of which ones would you see as the most at risk to physical risk factors? It's it's really everyone, like you said. Um, but as you can probably expect, the industries that are going to be most affected are the ones that depend on very predictable weather patterns for their revenue generation. So these are going to be industries like agriculture, right? You need to know when frost usually hits, you need to know what rain levels typically are in order to be successful and plan your rotations. Forestry, same thing. Power companies as well. Um, you need to know how high the wind blows or what the sun radiation tends to be in order to plan your output and in order to sign instruments like PPAs. But like you said, it's not an exaggeration at all to say that physical risk affects most industries everywhere, especially as we consider that climate change is going to make events more intense and most likely more frequent. A couple of other categories that we talk about in the report, if you are an industry that relies heavily on outdoor labor, so these are folks like mining, agriculture, construction, you're going to be more sensitive to heat and freeze events that make that outdoor labor very difficult or impossible. If you're an industry that is directly consumer facing, so hospitality or retail, you're going to be extra sensitive to risks that knock out consumer access to your locations, so floods, storms, freeze events. 
And then finally, like you said, insurance and financial services. This is a major group to call out. So banks, investment, asset managers, insurance companies, et cetera. These guys are really exposed. They might not have the direct asset exposure that we talked about earlier, but through their investments and through their insured assets, they could face huge aggregate exposure when a risk event does hit because it essentially magnifies their exposure. So you mentioned things like frost and different sorts of events. So now we've talked about the different, I guess, categories of risk, the different industries that are most impacted. And now let's talk about the weather event types a little bit. In that, in some respects, you can actually say climate change is almost synonymous with disrupting the water cycle. And when you disrupt the water cycle, we're thinking of things like more intense storms, but also droughts and things like frost. Lots of backward-looking weather data, but forward-looking weather data is more difficult to actually think about, hence the need for climate scientists. Among all of these more dramatic weather events, kind of which are the most harmful when you're looking at it in terms of losses? When we looked at the data, it turned out that drought tends to be the most expensive risk type. Um, And there's a couple of reasons for that, right? Droughts tend to last a long time, sometimes multi-year. And so you naturally are getting more time to build up losses in, in aggregate. However, the good news is that drought also tends to have, we calculated this ratio of potential loss to cost of management. And it turns out that drought has one of the highest uh, essentially payoff ratios, right? For every dollar that you invest in mitigating or managing your drought risk, it pays off more so. You're avoiding more loss because it it tends to be so expensive when it does hit. So if you're a company or if you're a financial institution looking to insure or lend money or really engage with any of these companies and thinking about these weather-related events that could have an impact on your investment or your business, I guess what I'm really wondering is how many of these companies are being transparent about their assessment of these risks? And, you know, how are we out there? How are you out there really judging whether or not enough companies are taking this seriously. Yeah. So as you can expect, most financial players are more and more asking for this type of data. However, uh, the company side on the corporate side, they're having a hard time getting to terms with all of this and grappling with it and putting it in a presentable standardized form. Like we said, what's exciting about the report that we just put out is that we finally are able to set a baseline for physical risk exposures and costs across most sectors and most geographies. And we did that by looking at self-reported data that came out of the CDP questionnaire covering about 8,500 companies, so quite a good sample size. From that, we found that only 35% of companies are able to identify exposure to any physical risks, right? So that's saying, yes, I'm exposed to floods. Yes, I'm exposed to fire. That's not even getting into quantifying what that exposure is. Only 35% of companies are identifying exposure to any physical risk. And we've already established that we think that most companies have some degree of exposure. Exactly. 35% is low. And I think what what makes it even more concerning is that the CDP survey is voluntary, right? You, as a company, don't need to submit data. You tend to submit data if you are ESG aware or if you are ESG forward as a firm. So considering that we're taking the sample from 8,500 companies that are more ESG aware or more ESG leading, still only 35% of companies are able 
to identify exposures. So I think that that really points to the need to beef up reporting standards and to have more guidance or pressure from financial institutions and even policymakers to get this data more out there. Within the most exposed sectors, well, what is the I guess, size of financial losses that we're really expecting due to maybe some of the more acute physical risks. So let me explain what numbers we were able to get out of this sample. It's it's really fantastic. So we have data on company exposure to risks. So yes or no, are you exposed to fire? Are you exposed to flood? Number two, we have data on financial loss. So if a flood were to hit, how much would it cost you? And then number three, we have data on cost of risk management. So if you say that you are exposed to fires, what do you think? What do you assess as your own cost to reasonably manage that fire risk? So we have those three data points. From those three data points, we backed out a lot of great data and we found that typically a loss from any given physical risk event will cost around 0.3% of your annual revenue. When a storm hits, you're losing 0.3%. If another fire hits, you're losing another 0.3%. That's just a standard baseline that we found from the data. Now, obviously, your loss is going to rise in line with the magnitude of the event. So if a severe drought hits or if a severe fire hits, that's going to more than double, going from 0.3 to 0.7% of your annual revenue that's just out the door. Yeah, and you had mentioned that before when you were discussing droughts as potentially one of the more important things for companies to look at when they're looking at those kind of, you know, three different metrics and where they're then going to try and mitigate their losses. Let's then come to a group of companies that have been looking at physical risk data for some time, and that will be insurance companies. Actuarials are familiar with this. And I think what I really want to understand is, are the insurance companies really the catalyst for change? And are they the ones that are putting pressure on companies to take this seriously? Because I can think about this at a much smaller scale, but anecdotally speaking, you know, my home flooded and the insurance company that insures my home was not very happy about the payout that they had to do in order to rebuild part of my home. And as a result, I can't go to another insurer anymore. On a much larger basis, insurance companies, well, they they have to look at risk in a very serious way that's central to their business for much larger sums of money than my little old home. So really, are insurance companies at the center of all of this? I think they can be a great catalyst and they've got a lot of things going for them, right? I mean, they already have a wealth of data, probably more data than any individual other player will have on where assets are, what risks they're exposed to, and more importantly, how they've experienced risk events in the past and what that's cost every time. They already have that wealth of data. Plus, they have the power to ask for additional data, right? They can say, I'm not going to insure you unless you provide me with X, Y, and Z. I think they can be a great catalyst along with the rest of the investment community. And like I said, policymakers building more of these risk disclosures into disclosing mandates. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. So when I think about extreme weather events, I think about 
the planet as a whole. Granted, that weather event is happening in a local place, but a lot of the causes are coming from a disruption that maybe took place somewhere far away. Hence is the discussion around climate change. But let's talk about, you know, mitigation, what companies are actually doing in order to really respond to this. So anecdotally from the survey, we were able to look at a couple of explanations of what companies have planned for in terms of physical risk management. And what we found is that probably the number one solution is insurance. And that's concerning, right? Because that's taking a huge bet that number one, there's going to be insurance available. We don't know if the insurance industry is going to change their mind or up their fees or what have you. So dealing with physical risk purely with insurance is not going to be enough. So I think the natural evolution later on, hopefully, is going to be more and more companies thinking about active mitigation. However, we're not at that point yet. Another big category of risk management currently is just risk monitoring. So putting a staffer or a team on weather data and just keeping an eye out for anything that might pose a risk to your own facilities or to your own operations, and then being able to flag that as a heads up before it happens. So as you can see, the current state of risk management still has room for improvement, and we are excited and looking forward to hopefully seeing seeing more companies moving from purely insurance and risk monitoring solutions into active mitigation. I mean, just looking at LinkedIn, I'm seeing hedge funds posting job roles for climate scientists. So presumably that's for the incorporation of some of this sort of data to then think about how this is going to impact their investments and the companies that they're actually trying to assess. All of this then really comes down to, again, the sort of data that you can get your hands on. And I know that we want better and more. How does better internal accounting really come to pass? What needs to be done to make this better? You're right that everything needs to start with better reporting. So the the data set that we took for this report is all voluntary. It's all voluntary, self-reported data. If we could get to a point um, in the near future where we have mandates, ESG mandates, or enough investor pressure to get to a set of standardized disclosures for physical risk, I think that's going to move the ball forward significantly. And we are hopeful that that will happen. So better internal accounting, what companies can do in the meantime to prepare for that eventuality, I think, uh, number one, they can start building up their own data library of historical impact from physical risk. So how many times have you experienced flood or drought or severe heat waves in the past X number of years? How long were the disruptions from each of those events? How much did it cost you? What solutions did you bring in to make that risk go away faster? Building up that internal historical data library is very important because that's going to add to the rigor of what you can do for better reporting going forward. We're also looking for more standardized metrics across the board. So again, just anecdotally, when we were looking at the survey data set, a lot of companies are reporting data points that are in the same realm, but they're not using the same metrics. So they'll say, you know, my factory was out for two days. Some will say my factory was out for, you know, X number of cycles. I think we need to bring in more standardized metrics to physical risks so that comparison is possible. 
And then finally, like we said, moving from softer risk mitigation measures like insurance and risk monitoring, moving from that into more active adaptation, that's going to be a big step. And I think that it's it's very obvious that the world as a whole is going to need to move in that direction. Within that, it's going to be really important for companies to think carefully about what type of solution works best for them, what type of solution works best for the risks that they face. So, for example, um, physical adaptations like barriers are going to be really important for events that have a concentrated exposure like storms or hail or to um, protect yourself against flooding, things like that. However, if you are more so exposed to risks with a much wider impact area, so things like drought or wildfires or heat waves, you're going to have to come up with more operational preparedness measures rather than physical. So it's going to be really important for companies to think about what risk management and adaptation looks like for them in order to budget all of this accordingly. Well, and budget creates the perfect segue for the financial sector. You had already discussed insurance, but let's talk a bit about other parts of the financial services sector. You know, really, what's at stake for them? So let's say banks, for example. What are they exposed to and how are they responding? So banks and the investment industry, they're exposed to physical risk within each of their investments. So number one, they face a lot of aggregate risks because physical risk piles up and adds up uh, across each of their investments. But number two, they don't have as much agency to implement the types of risk management or adaptation that they may want to, right? So if they're concerned about one particular investment facing significantly higher physical risk than they're comfortable with, they might be able to talk to that company. They might be able to try and get them to to make some kind of change, but they don't necessarily have direct agency to say, okay, we're putting up barriers at this facility. So they face high risk and they're less able to implement direct adaptation. In our report, we found something interesting, which is that you can expect around 7% of a diversified portfolio to experience a risk in any given year. And that's a significant number, right? 7% of your portfolio experiencing a risk. We have the numbers on costs. So it really does add up. You had mentioned adaptation. And one of the risks I can see, and not to overuse the word risk, but one of the things that I can see is companies responding in a way that focuses more on adaptation than mitigation. And what I mean by that is building more robust infrastructure, which we certainly need, in order to really weather the storm, no pun intended, rather than really get to the root of the problem, which are carbon emissions and climate change and the intensification of weather-related events. In your opinion, do you see it going that direction? Do you see adaptation essentially starting to play a more prominent role in the way companies look at this sort of data and what they're going to do with it? Absolutely. In the long term, I do. I think it might still take a while to get there. The good thing is that our report found that every single physical risk has a positive payoff in terms of dollars invested to manage said risk and avoided dollars of loss. We mentioned earlier, drought has the highest ratio at around 9.3, same with floods around 9.3. But every single risk has a positive payoff when it comes to investing in risk management. 
So if we establish that, you know, while some of these companies may be looking at mitigation, reducing their emissions, really physical risk and data and information is spurring a company to think about many respects adaptation more clearly. What opportunities are there for companies in this? And do you think that there are companies that are not just looking at this risk data as a downside risk, but also seeing a potential growth for some of their businesses? So I am thinking immediately for cement or steel for reinforced certain physical um, buildings and roads and bridges. Well, for individual companies, the payoff is that you're no longer losing revenue from being offline because a physical risk hit you. At a larger scale, moving beyond individual companies, there are going to be sectors that might see this as an opportunity. So like you said, a lot of commodities um, like steel, metals, um, cement, they may be playing a critical role in building more physical adaptations, as well as the construction industry. The construction industry is obviously going to be called upon to put all of that in place. So they might see some kind of uplift from more company awareness and action on physical risk management. Let's talk specifically about the energy transition and some of the different electric utilities that we uh, are really thinking about in this transition. So wind and solar specifically, but even some of the other parts of baseload power like nuclear and hydro, You know, which within these are most exposed to these weather-related risks. And I'm just even thinking immediately of a wind farm. You know, how how high can the wind speeds go? How well do they perform in a hurricane? Are there parts of this group of companies and generating assets that are able to be part of the transition? Are they also vulnerable or less vulnerable because they're taking this into consideration building out new infrastructure? Yeah, so every single type of energy or power asset has some exposure to physical risk, right? If you're a nuclear plant, you need to be close by to a water source. Same as if you are a hydro plant. Wind farms obviously need predictable wind speeds. Solar plants need predictable sunshine. So are they looking closely at this sort of data when they're thinking about new projects or has it not been incorporated yet? I'm not sure, but I believe that power companies are quite sophisticated when it comes to integrating weather data into their operational planning. I think that might translate into more physical risk awareness. However, there's kind of a difference, right, between short-term weather planning and longer-term physical risk The other interesting thing is that power companies might be exposed to physical risks in more ways or different ways. So you're not only exposed because if you're a wind farm and it suddenly freezes and you're no longer able to generate power and get that revenue, that's number one, an exposure for you. But if you are involved in any kind of power purchase contract, you're still obligated to deliver power, right? Um, so in that downtime, you're exposed to huge volatility in the in the power markets. So the, the power sector is exposed to physical risk in a variety of different unique ways. So, Danya, you've taken a closer look at this, and I want you to leave us with, you know, essentially a quick summary. Be more aware of your physical risk exposure. Be prepared for the fact that you will be expected to report on it consistently, hopefully in the near future. And to prepare for that, start building up your internal library of data points. Okay, you heard it here. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you.
Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.